Well, get out your Bible this morning with me, if you have one. If not, don't. And turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter's right after 1 Peter, if you've got a Bible like mine. 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's take a moment and pray this morning. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity now to study your word. We believe that you're alive in us. You're doing great things among us. You're leading us in the way we should go, and you're helping us to walk in the middle of your perfect will and your divine plan. Lord, give us utterance today, I pray, in the Holy Spirit. pray that each one would have eyes to see and ears to hear, a heart open and receptive unto your will and ways. Thank you for your word now, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to uh, begin today with a new series of messages, and my title is this, One by One, One by One, and this is something that's been in my heart for a period of time and has been increasingly building over the last little bit. At times, I've felt almost overwhelmed, and that's not so common for me, but at times I feel, I don't know how to even explain it, but it's just real strong in me, just real uh, heavy, if that might be the right word. It's something that's that God, I really believe, wants to help us to get on track with and get us on the same page with Him in. And I want to begin by reading uh, four scriptures and and I want us to catch the heartbeat of God. And I want us to understand what He thinks about every day. So that we can, of course, walk with Him. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Can you see what the will of God is here? What? That all should come to repentance. It's not the will of God, not even for a moment, that any person would perish. He doesn't want any person to go down. There's not a single person, and He knows them all, that He really wants for them to go to hell. There's not a person in your life that God says that He doesn't really care about, or He doesn't really think about, or He doesn't really have a plan for. Every single person on planet Earth, God knows everything about them. And you know what? And He loves them. You know, we, we go through life, and you know, if we were to go outside and watch all the cars driving by, most of them we wouldn't even give a second thought to. Right? I mean, the vast majority, and we act like, I don't know who that is. I don't really have any thoughts about them one way or the other. I don't know anything about them. We could go to the mall and see, you know, all the people, and the vast majority of them, we don't know them. We don't know anything about them. We don't give them a second thought. You know, we, uh, you go to work, and if you work for a big company, there might be hundreds or thousands of employees, and, and most of them you don't know and hardly even think about. But the thing is, God knows every one of them. He knows everything about every one of them. He knows what, he's got a 
purpose and a plan for their life, but he knows what they're thinking and where they're wrong and where they're right and all the struggles they have and the victories that they have. And he loves every single one of them. And many of them are lost. Many of them are separated from him. And unless something changes, we'll be separated from him forever. Think about how that can impact his heart. It's one thing if you don't know somebody. I may see some people today for the first time and the last time. And I'll never think about them again. They'll never cross my mind. Now, of course, we don't have the capability that God has to really know everyone and remember everyone. But I'll see them and I'll never see them again and I'll never think about them again. With the Father, it's different. He knows everyone. And he'll know them tomorrow. And he'll know them the next day. And some of these whom he loves, he will never get to be with. But he knows their eternal fate is very tragic. And he knows it in great detail. Far more than any of us. Could you imagine living with that knowledge? I find that very difficult. Just like it hurts me to know of someone that I know. If someone here that I know is suffering greatly, I feel that. That hurts for me to know that someone else is really hurting. But I'm spared the vast majority of suffering in the world because I don't know about it. And even if I see something on TV, it's so removed. I think, you know, that yeah, that's tragic, that's a bummer, that's really bad, but it doesn't affect me in a really great deal because it's just not right there in my life it's so uh, so far so uh, it's so far away usually that it doesn't impact me let's look at another here first timothy chapter two first timothy chapter two and verse four you can see in verse three talking about god our savior verse four who desires all men to what? To be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. How many does he want to be saved? He wants all to be saved. This is his divine and express will for all of mankind, for all people to be saved. Now listen, when you say all, you got to realize a lot of these people are mean. They're ugly. They got issues. They're hurting other people. They're thieves and crooks and liars and cheaters. And some of them may live semi-moral life, but they're self-righteous. And they think, oh, my life's fine. I don't, I don't need God in my life. Covering all these people, there's not one of them. He says, dude, I want you to be out of here. He wants all of them to be saved. Sometimes we just get angry with people. We think, ah, I can't believe people would act like that. Man, they're just ruining our country. Man, they're just ruining this. They're just such a problem in society. And, uh, and we just get frustrated and angry with people who are, who are harming others or harming our, uh, our society at large. And don't get me wrong, God's not happy with sin, and we shouldn't be happy with sin either. And you can be angry with and upset with wrongdoing. However... The Lord wants every single one of them to be saved. It is His will that none of them perish. All come to repentance 
and every one of them be saved. Now go to James. Right turn again. Go past Hebrews. James chapter 5 and verse 7. James 5, 7 says, Therefore be patient, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And you see the comparison is made here of a farmer waiting for his crop to be ready for harvest to the people that the Lord is waiting for. And what's the analogy there? He refers to them as the precious fruit of the earth. Not a bunch of dirt bags, a bunch of heathens, man, just get this thing over with. No, he's waiting because he sees fruit, precious fruit people that are yet to come into the kingdom of God. As some contemporaries say these days, pre-Christians, right? They're not yet in the kingdom of God. Sometimes I wonder what's, on, what's going on in the mind of Jesus as we are in the last days and He's about to return and He's about to come back. I would guess that there'd be a, an exciting anticipation on one hand, like, Man, I'm about to get these guys together. We're going to bring them here. We're going to be together forever. No more sorrow. No more tears. No more crying. No more suffering. It's going to be great. And there's, it's a great triumph, triumphal uh, finish to this planet, right? And it's going to be just outstanding. But on the, other, uh, on the other hand, I wonder if there's a hesitation in him. I wonder if in his mind he thinks, man, I'm going to get them. But ah, there's so many more. There's so many more that need to hear. There's so many more that need a chance to receive the gospel. And so maybe I can wait. Maybe I can wait a little bit longer and be patient so the harvest can come in. I bet there's two sides to this. The great end and the great return of the Lord is going to be both exciting and devastating. Both a shout of joy and very fearful, depending on which side you're on. And this is the reality and this is what God has in His heart every single day. Our entire plan of redemption, God's plan for us, is something that took thousands of years to put together. From Adam to Jesus, about 4,000 years. It took a long time to get this thing going. It was all for the purpose of saving lost people. Again, God could have wrote us off. He'd have been just in doing it. Ah, these turkeys, I mean, they had, a, they had a, an opportunity to live a great life and do everything right, but they just blew it, and so stuff them. But thank God, in His love and mercy, He said, no, i got a plan. I'm going to send my son. It's going to take a while to get this through the legal process of spiritual legalities, and, but he's going to be born of a woman. He's going to live a sinless life. He's going to be that spotless lamb. He's going to be their sacrifice, and whoever accepts Him will be saved and they'll be relieved from all the destruction that their sin produces and God has a great plan too often today again we just get upset with people who are living in sin but we need to remember that if it weren't for Jesus we'd be no different if we really want to walk with God it's vital now that we are interested in the same things that he's interested in 
I think there might be a little bit of deception going on sometimes in the average Christian's mind where we think, man, I just love God and I pray and, and we talk every day and we're just close. I mean, me and the Lord, we're just tight. We're just always walking together and I love to worship Him and read His Word and fellowship with other believers. I'm just so close to the Lord. And, uh, and again, I'm not going to, I mean, that's great if that's the case, but I have a question for you. If you're really that tight with God, has He been talking to you about lost people? How often do you see someone go by and immediately your, your thought is, I wonder if they're saved? How often do you at work maybe look across the office or uh, find someone else and you're thinking about their eternal condition? You're wondering what's going to happen when they, to them when they die. You're, you're thinking about, do, are, are, are they saved? Or, or is it just happy-go-lucky, everything's good, everyone's okay, I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's... Uh, we just act like eternity doesn't exist. I think that if I really think I have a great relationship with God and we're just so tight but these things never cross my mind or seldom cross my mind, I'm not as close to the Lord as I think I am because I know for certain that He's thinking about it every day. I know for certain because He knows everyone and His will is that everyone be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. And too often... We get so busy and so consumed with our own lives that we don't make any effort to see other people know the Lord. And can we truly be in constant communion with the Lord and not think about the condition of dying humanity? I think there's some bit of confusion, a bit of deception in that regard. Why do we do the things that we do? I like to think about, and when I say that, that's kind of an open-ended question concerning everything we do in life. But why do we do what we do even here, even now? And what I want you to do is I want you to consider the eternal component to your life. Not just you going to heaven. If you've received the Lord, you're good to go. I don't fuss and worry about my eternity ever. I'm just not concerned. Why? I'm saved. He changed my life. The Lord's me. He's right there. I mean, hi. You there? God's always with me. I'm not concerned. I'm good to go. I mean, it's like if a person naturally, if they had a great retirement plan, it's like, phew, I'm good. My latter years will be taken care of. I know my latter, latter years. My eternity is taken care of, so I'm never concerned about that. So why do I do what I do? For example... Why, why do we study the Word? Now, you can have a lot of correct answers to that question. We can answer it in a lot of different ways, and they can, a lot of them could be true. But, but I want you to think about it. In light of what's on God's heart every single day of our lives, and, and through, of His life, why do we study the Word? Here's a good answer. So I can be more effective in winning others to Jesus. And sometimes all we think about, well, I study the Word so I can have strong faith and be healed and I can know God and, and I can know His ways and, and all these kind of things. I know, but those are fine. Those are good. But I study the Word. You study the Word. Let this be a component to your answer so I can be used by God to impact another's life for eternity. 
If that element is missing, we're missing God. Why do we do things? I think about our uh, worship team and all the musicians and singers. Why do we practice worship? Of course, again, number of answers there. How about this one? So that we can more effectively bring in the presence of God into our service so every sinner who walks in will be convicted and get saved. Again, people sometimes leave that eternal component out of everything they do. Man, I want God on the scene. I like to ask this, why do you shower? If you shower. (laughs) We don't discriminate against non-showerers. Why do you shower? I'm just getting you to think spiritual stuff, practical stuff. Here's why. So that I'll be more so that you'll be more effective in winning others to the Lord. Because, you know, stinky people can be offensive. It could hinder your witness. So I shower so that I'll be a better witness of the gospel. Someone said, I'd never really thought about that. Start thinking about it. Everything you do. I'm getting a haircut. Why? Because I'll just, I'll, I'll look better, and I'll be a better witness. Amen. I'm going on vacation. Why? Well, so that I'll be uh, relaxed, and I'll be, you know, personally doing better, so that I can be a better witness for the Lord. Because if I'm stressed out, that's not a really good witness. You know what I'm talking about? There can be a spiritual, eternal component to everything we do, if we have the mindset that God has. And I'm telling you, He does. He does. There's a reason. Why do we want, why does a person want to prosper? Well, I just want to prosper because I like stuff. That's too shallow. And that's, all, that's not bad in and of itself. God wants you to enjoy things, but that's too shallow. should be a purpose for our prosperity. Why? So I can win others to the Lord. So my finances can, can help someone, somewhere, some uh, outreach, some something to get people saved. If it's not... It's shallow. Your life is a waste. If you make millions of dollars, big, stinking, whoop-de-doo, in the realm of eternity, that doesn't matter. What matters is what do I use my life and my gifts and my resources and my time and my prayers and everything, how does that affect someone else getting into the kingdom of God? This is what's on God's heart. And we get so busy again sometimes with a lot of fine stuff. It's, not, it's good. It's not like we're just living a terrible life. But it's unrelated completely to another person being saved. And I really believe that the Lord wants to help us get this fixed in our church. I really believe He wants us to think and have love and compassion for lost people at a much higher scale than we do. So that we cannot go through the day without thinking about it. I want you to look at Romans chapter 9 with me. Romans 9, this verse is like wow to me. has for a long time. Sometimes I kind of want to skip over it. When I'm reading, because it's like, ah, uh, can kind of bug you a little bit. And Paul said something here that was just outstanding, just huge. 
Let's read in verse 1. He says, here, I tell the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Now, notice the language he's using. He said, I'm not flippantly saying this. I'm not just talking off the top of my head. I'm not just having a bad day. I'm, I'm not just, uh, uh, you know, speaking out of some emotional experience here. He said, I'm telling you the truth. Verse 2, I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. That is like, wow, this is a guy, I think he knows about the joy of the Lord being his strength. I think he knows about his victory in Christ, about who he is in Christ. I think he knows about the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, if anyone knows all the great victories and all that belongs to us, Paul knows. And yet, he says, I have this every day. I have this continual, a continual sorrow and grief in my heart. Now, that's odd to me. But you think about it. I don't think that means that he's saying, I'm depressed every day. No, that wouldn't be consistent with our life in Christ. Is he happy? Of course he is. He said that in other places. He told King Agrippa, I'm a happy guy. I think myself happy. (laughs) Right? Uh, Paul was a happy person. He had the joy of the Lord. He had victory in life. But what was this component to him? There was something he carried with him continually. And it wasn't fun. I mean, it was a sorrow. It was a grief that he carried with him. He tells us, In the next verse, some of you already cheated and read ahead probably, but verse 3, he said, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. That's one of those statements like, are you serious? You could really, you would really do that. This is totally the love of God in absolute display. This is the same kind of love of Jesus hanging on the cross, not for himself, but for us completely unselfish he's saying i'd give up christ it seems to me he said i'd be cursed from christ i'd give up my salvation if i could get these people saved if i could get my own brethren my countrymen according to the flesh if they would get saved i'd trade it i'm like you serious you know what that is that's hard hard at times for me to wrap my mind around but i'm telling you too often we live so far away from that. If you're, if you're not willing to say that, I'm not saying fake it. I'm not saying act like it's true. But I think we sometimes live so far away from that, not only are we not willing to give up our lives, we're hardly ever willing to give up an hour or a thousand bucks or some time, you know, whatever, or some effort or energy on our part or the uncomfortable part of speaking to someone else about their eternal salvation. We hardly will give up anything. Yet he said, man, I, it seems to me, and you, I mean, he didn't use this language, but it seems to me he's saying, man, I'd go to hell if, ever, if I could get everybody else saved. Thinking, dude, that's some tremendous love you got going on there. Wow. And I think we really need to step it up in our compassion and love for other people to where we'll go out of our way to see that others come into the kingdom of God. I want to read to you a vision. In fact, I want to read two, two of them today from two very respected men of God. And these are, very, these are somewhat graphic uh, concerning these things that we're talking about today. And I think it's necessary for us to have a reality in our minds to see the reality of eternity. 
And uh, this first one is from Brother Kenneth E. Hagan, who had a vision. And he said it this way, Come up hither, the voice said again. Then I looked and saw Jesus standing about where the top of the tent would be. As I looked up again, the tent had disappeared, and every tent pole had disappeared. The pulpit had disappeared, and God permitted me to see into the spirit realm. Jesus was standing there, and I stood in his presence. He was holding a crown in his hands. This crown was so extraordinarily beautiful that human language cannot begin to describe it. Jesus told me, this is a soul winner's crown. My people are so careless and indifferent. This crown is for every one of my children. I speak and say, go, speak to this one or pray for that one. But my people are too busy. They put it off and souls are lost because they will not obey me. Then Jesus, when Jesus said that, I wept before him. I knelt down and repented of my failures. Then Jesus said to me again, come up hither. It seemed as if I went with him through the air until we came to a beautiful city. We did not actually go into the city, but we beheld it at close range as one might go up on a mountain and look down on a city in the valley. It was beautiful beyond words. Jesus said that people selfishly say they are ready for heaven. They talk about their mansions and the glories of heaven while many around them live in darkness and hopelessness. Jesus said that I should share my hope with them and invite them to come to heaven with me. Then Jesus turned to me and said, Now let us go down to hell. We came back down out of heaven, and when we got to the earth, we didn't stop but kept going. Numerous scriptures in the Bible refer to hell as being beneath us. And he went on to quote a couple of those scriptures. We went down to hell. And as we went into that place, I saw what appeared to be human beings wrapped in flames. I said, Lord, this looks just like it did when I died and came to this place on April 22, 1933. You spoke, and I came back up out of here. I then repented and prayed, seeking your forgiveness, and you saved me. Only now I feel so different. I am neither afraid nor horrified as I was then. Jesus told me, warn men and women about this place and I cried out with tears that I would let me read this other one to you this is from a a respected man of God named Lester Sumrall at the early part of his ministry he said while we were having a revival meeting at a schoolhouse in Tennessee He said, suddenly, with my eyes wide open, I didn't see him, him being his worship leader. I didn't see the people. I saw the world. Before me, I saw all the people of the entire world, people of every color, brightly dressed in their native costumes. I was impressed with how beautiful they were as they walked down a very long and wide highway leading away from me. I saw the Japanese in their colorful kimonos. I saw the Mongolians, rough and tough and bearded. It was almost scary. I saw all different kinds of Chinese. Some were elegantly dressed. I saw South Sea Islanders, naked and mean. I saw people from South America, Africa, India, and Europe. I saw the world. It was real as my flesh. I saw people from every nation. Millions and millions of people were all walking on a highway. 
but they weren't walking. They stepped with a little trot. I watched them with interest. It was exciting. In my vision, God picked me up, and I went uh, over the top of the people to the end of their highway. I could look down. God said, that is the road of life. At the end of their highway was a raging, bottomless inferno. Flames leaped up out of what looked like a blazing volcano. The vast procession of people marched to the edge, then fell screaming into the eternal flames. As they neared the pit and saw their fate, they struggled in vain, trying to push back against the unrelenting march of those behind them. The great river of humanity swept, the surging river of humanity swept them over into the abyss. Over the edge they went, a hundred thousand at a time. As they would go down into it, screaming, yelling, crying, tearing their hair, scratching their faces, I lost my breath. God, 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 I gasped. I saw the world going to hell. God opened my ears to hear the screams of damned souls sinking into hell. As he brought me near, I could see men and women of all nations, their faces distorted with terror, their hands flailing wildly, clawing at the air. God spoke to me out of the chaos. You are responsible for these who are lost. Me, Lord? I protested. I do not know these people. I've never been to Japan or China or India. I'm not to blame. God's voice was tender, yet firm, as he spoke again. And he quoted this verse from Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 18. When I say to the wicked... You shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but the blood I will require at your hand. As I continued to stare, the people tried to back up, but the pressure from behind pushed them on, and into hell they would fall, catapulted into the air, screaming and crying. They had not thought about eternity until they got there. Isn't that amazing? Suddenly I saw blood running through my fingers, the blood of the nations. It's pretty powerful, pretty moving, and something we can realize that the Father sees and knows all about. And I think that we just cannot continue to live our lives as if all is well with all those in the world around us. Some of us, we've, we're around people, maybe you have, you have been for years, may call them friends, may call them acquaintances, what, maybe relatives, but we've been around them for years, and yet never, never do we ever, do we ever bring up the subject of God's love for them. Never do we bring up the subject of eternity, how life is short, and they're not guaranteed a tomorrow. And we live our lives oftentimes as if everything's fine, everything's good. I mean, I got a good relationship, and I don't want to disrupt that. And, and uh, you know, my family and I, we're good. I'm just taking care of my own, and, and that's just all I can ask for. When the Lord wants more. Because he wants everyone to be saved. 
It's his desire and his will that all be saved. And the thing is, he's not going to do it himself. He provided the forgiveness and went to great lengths, I might add, to make sure that any person could call on him at any time and be saved. But then he told us that we've got to be the ones to tell him. And it's not like, you know, little Jimmy, clean your room. And Jimmy doesn't clean his room. And so mom goes in there and cleans the room for him. This is not one of those kind of deals. This is called going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But if we don't, the gospel simply will not be preached to every creature. It's not that God's going to take over for us and say, Oh, you were too busy. You were too preoccupied. I'll go ahead and clean up for you. No, literally, now this is, wow, this is kind of heavy, but literally people will be lost when we are so consumed with our own lives and we don't ever think about someone else's eternity and we won't ever take a step that might be uncomfortable, might not be, just to share the love of God with someone else. They're literally be lost as a result of that. That's, that's big time, man. Let me show you one more scripture in finishing up here today. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And let's look down here at verse 28. You can see in verse 21, verse 27, we're talking about Christ who is in us, the hope of glory. It says in verse 28, Him we preach. Who do we preach? Christ. We preach Jesus. How many understand that he's the only one people there, everyone gets mad about? You know, when city councils are having ministers to come in and pray, you can have all kinds of funky religions out there, and they'll come pray whatever they want. But, but nowadays, nowadays, in certain parts of the country, there's all this big fuss put up when someone wants to pray in Jesus' name. What's up with that? It's called, it's real clear, it's just the spirit of Antichrist that the Bible says is in the world today. There is strong opposition, demonic, and all those who oppose God don't like Jesus. Because <laughs> Jesus is the Savior. He's the one who makes a difference in people's lives. We could just play religious games and have church and, and no one would ever get upset with us until we say, Jesus! And then all of a sudden, skin's ruffled and, <laughs> and there's all kinds of objections. You can't say Jesus. He's the only way. He's the one who gave his life for us says, Him we preach. Notice that next word. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. What are we supposed to do? This is, this is interesting, but this is part of our assignment. We are supposed to warn people. War, well, how, how, warn people? That means I might have to talk about hell. <laughs> that could come up. Now, we know this. That's not our first message. We don't walk up to people, you're going to hell. <laughs> that probably wouldn't receive that too well. But is there ever a time to speak of it? There absolutely is. Yeah. And part of our job as Christians, while we're still here, the day will be, we'll all be together in heaven. Come on, we're going to be shouting to victory. We're going to be hanging out together while we're here. God has a plan, and it's so people would be saved. And it's our assignment. It's not the angels. It's not God's job. 
It's our assignment to let what we have received by His grace and goodness come out of us to touch someone else. Somebody talked to you. Somebody prayed with you. Somebody led you to the Lord. Whether it was family or friend or a pastor or, you know, in a church service or whoever it was. I'm saved forever because someone else warned me. Because someone else shared the love of God with me. And how can I live my life and say, I'm good. Ready to go. Beam me up, Lord. Ready for heaven. And not even warn those all around me who don't even know God. And they're trotting down the highway. Everything's good in life until all of a sudden it's too late. If, if you had a friend driving down the street in their car and, uh, and you knew maybe there was a big storm. We don't get so much of these in our area, but, you know, some places where there's flash floods and roads can be washed out and, uh, and, uh, and maybe the road was washed out and there was a great gulf and so you knew someone driving down there. I mean, wouldn't you do everything you can? Wouldn't you be on the phone? Wouldn't you be out in the street waving? Wouldn't you do whatever you can? Stop! The road's out! You're going to die if you go there. I mean, that's just human compassion and common sense. But for those of us who know the end of the road, spiritually, and it's far worse than getting in a car wreck or even dying physically. It's far worse if someone's not prepared. And yet we sit idly by. I'm good. You're good. As long as our relationship between each other is okay. Don't want to disrupt anything. Don't want to cause any opportunity for, for you to be uncomfortable. And we're missing the very heartbeat of God by living that way. Him we preach, warning every man. How can you help others to be saved? How can you help in this process? There's three things. Number one, you can give to the work of the gospel. Every, every time we give to the gospel going forward, that's having a part to play. And it's changing lives for eternity. Number two, you can be involved in a work that's reaching the lost. Like Life Church or others. When people are helping here and they're working with the kids or ushering or helping with the, the media ministry or, or, or doing so many, many things are going on, you know you're actually having a part to play in others receiving the gospel and others being saved. All right? But this series is about number three. This series is not about those two. We should all be doing those two. But it's about number three, and that's get personally involved in evangelism. Get personally involved in evangelism. And I know that thought, in some, some people's minds, that's a heavy, heavy, and that's kind of scary, and that's not me, or maybe that's not my personality, and they have some vision of what that looks like. But I'm going to tell you, it might be a little bit different with you than it would be with someone else. And whether or not we fully understand or can embrace what that looks like or how that's going to transpire in our lives, it is part of God's assignment for your life. It's one of your jobs. The rewards are great, but this is something we should all do. Now listen, I realize this message is kind of like, shh, you notice this is the quietest it's ever been in church. We've got decibels. They're zero. <laughs> but listen, does this mean we should live our lives heavy 
sad, I've got a burden. I'm just carrying around this burden for lost people. No, that actually defeats the purpose in winning others. We are to live happy, blessed, victorious, yay God kind of lives. And we come in here, we're not going to stop singing the fast stuff. <laughs> because, well, there's lost people on that road and they're falling into eternity. We can't shout. Yes, we shout in Jesus. We rejoice in what he's done. But listen, it's that kind of life that really is attractive to a non-believer anyway. Come on now. Someone who's full of life and full of the blessing of God. And we're going to continue. We don't want to act sad. But there will be times in our lives if we're really walking with the Lord. And there may be times when you're praying that you're not altogether smiling and laughing. Because you, deal, you do feel the heartbeat of God. And you will at times in prayer have a burden. And you may cry for lost people. You may, you may, you may weep. And it, you may feel you know, the condition of lost souls around you. And come on, let that happen. Let that happen. When you see people, if you go to a, you know, you go to a, uh, you know, maybe you go to a Broncos game uh, or something. Or watch it on TV and you see thousands of people. Make yourself think this way. Wonder how many of them are saved. Wonder how many of them know Jesus. Don't let yourself look at the masses or look at individuals and only see the physical and only see their natural needs. Remind yourself, every one of us are spiritual beings that will live forever. And I must be conscious of the spiritual condition of those around me. Amen. And I tell you what, God's going to help us in this. He's leading us. Man, there's a shift taking place. There's a promotion taking place in our church. And it's happening, first of all, internally. It's happening on the inside where we get on the same page with the Lord and we begin to be concerned with the things that He is. We begin to have the same thoughts that He has every single day concerning lost people. Praise the Lord. Again, this may look different for various people here, but the end result is the same. Heaven is populated. Hell gets plundered. Amen. And we get to have a part in making an eternal difference in another person's life. And we, we're going to set realistic goals for each of us so that we can uh, be used by God in this regard. Sometimes people think, man, evangelism, and they, they imagine someone just going crazy and you know, I know some people hear a message like this and they're already making plans to go to the mall. <laughs> handing out tracts or walking up cold turkey to people and sharing Jesus with them. And if you want to do that, you have at it. That's fine. But that's not really what I'm proposing and telling you that you all have to do. Okay? And I'm going to get into some more of this later. But here's, I want to just throw this out to you in closing. I want you to think about one person. That's why I, you can see that in the title. But I want you to think about one. Imagine for a moment that we all won one. Imagine if the whole body of Christ in the Treasure Valley got one person. And you doubled the amount of believers in this area. It would change our city in a moment. Imagine everyone in our church... Imagine we all won one. Think things would be different around here? 
think we'd feel like we're in the middle of a revival? Come on now. I tell you what, and that would be the, what should be normal for a New Testament church. And I believe the Lord is helping us to step up. Amen. If you want to win 50 million, do it. I'll, get, I'll, send you, I'll give you an offering. <laughs> or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Fine. But we're working with the average Christian here. And I don't know without asking you. But frequently, there are people who've been saved for a long time and there's not even been one. There's not even been one. And there's a soul winner's crown. God has waiting for you. Why don't you get one? Why don't you get one of those crowns? Amen. Amen. I'm excited about what the Lord's doing. And I believe He's doing something on the inside of us. Father, thank You today for this time we have together now. I believe You're doing great things. I believe You're taking us up. You're helping us to walk in the middle of Your perfect will and plan. Thank You for doing tremendous things in our hearts today to prepare us and equip us to be used of You and not to live ignorant or unmindful of the state of those around us. Your heart and Your will is that all be saved. Come to a knowledge of the truth and we desire these things as well. Father, I pray that You work on every heart even now and draw them into your perfect will and plan. They can be a part of the team to usher in this last day's harvest. Father, thank you for doing a work on us today. Father, I pray for those who've come to the service this morning that their spiritual condition is not right.